Okay, praises be to our loving Father that we are able to again gather together to study his book. Remember, the whole point of the BHP, the Bible History Project, is to study the book called the Holy Bible in its entirety. So piece by piece, book by book, we're going to be looking at and exploring some of the material that Yehuwa intends for us to receive and to practice or rehearse by faith so that we can be fully prepared as his sons and daughters to inherit what he intends to give to each and every one of us. So we just completed our study of the book of Revelation. We're going to look now at the book of Joshua, which can be considered as a precursor to the book of Revelation. And once we complete our study of the book of Joshua, you're going to see a lot of parallels in the book of Joshua and the book of Revelation, in particular, the rise of the beast powers. But before we can go ahead and make that justification, we need to first complete the book of Joshua. And so we're going to begin by introducing the person of Joshua and the purpose of this book and why it's relevant in our life, especially today that we are preparing for salvation. So the book of Joshua is what we're going to be embarking on as we continue our quest to understand the scriptures given to us by Yahuwah. So before we go ahead and jump to the book of Joshua, we need to first get a proper context of what it's about. And so we know that the first five books of the Holy Bible is called the Torah. After the Torah, we have Joshua. So to understand Joshua, we need to know where we are coming from. And so just for a brief review, let's let us go through the main themes of the first five books of Moses called the Torah. And so the Torah is called, is, it means the law or the teaching. It consists of five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And Genesis is, is about the book of beginnings because it's in Genesis that we discover the origin of man, why he was created in the first place, the origin of sin and the consequences of sin that led to a rebellious nature of mankind, the plan and purpose of Yahuwah's salvation, his work of redemption and restoration. All of that is introduced in the book of Genesis. Exodus is about the birth of the nation because we know that the first nation of Yahuwah is Israel. And this was to fulfill the promise he made with Abraham back in the book of Genesis. So we see how uh, Israel be began to grow and then how they were enslaved, how they were released from captivity by the mighty hand of our father Yahuwah to become a nation on their own. We also see in the book of Exodus how Yahuwah establishes a covenant with his people Israel. Leviticus, it spans about two months and it's all about detailing the law of the nation, the nation and how Yahuwah is to be worshipped. Then Numbers is the result of the lack of faith and trust the nation of Yahuwah displayed. And so instead of entering the promised land, they had to go through the wilderness wanderings for how long again? 40 years. And so in Deuteronomy, as they are to approach the promised land, we have the laws reviewed. And so this was a, a doctrinal treatise of what was given by Yahuwah to Moses and from Moses to the people of Israel. And so the book of the law or the Torah, all of this takes place outside the promised land. 
And so now we're going to enter the promised land. And so we introduce the book of Joshua because Joshua tells us about the entering and then the occupying of the promised land. And so it's basically broken down into three sections. The book of Joshua begins with chapters one to five. It's all about entering the promised land, the challenges they face and what they were able to do to overcome the inhabitants there, overcoming the land, chapter six to 12, how they, they became victorious over the various kingdoms that existed in the land of promise, and then occupying the land, how the land was distributed and how they were to occupy and expand. And so that's basically the structure of the book of Joshua. We're going to begin next week looking at chapter one of Joshua. But for today, we need to understand all about the person, right? Who was Joshua, son of Nun? For us to be able to appreciate the book of Joshua, we need to also understand the person of uh, Joshua. Who was he? We know he's the son of Nun, but who was he? Well, according to scriptures, Joshua was the firstborn son of Nun and descendant of Ephraim. So he was an Ephraimite, and he is the firstborn son of Nun, that being the case, when the plague of the death of the firstborn spread throughout Egypt, of course, Joshua was at risk, but he trusted by faith in the promise of Yahuwah that every household who had the smear of the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, on the lentils of the doors, they're going to be spared. They're going to have an experience of salvation because the wrath of God would pass over them. So Joshua exhibited faith and trust in Yahuwah early on. He was the firstborn son of Nun. He was an Ephraimite. So what do we know about Joshua? Well, the first instance that Joshua was mentioned was when he was fighting a battle. Because shortly after Israel was released from Egypt and they went to journey, something happened to them. They were attacked by the Amalekites. And this is detailed in Exodus 17, 8 to 10. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So early on, after the exodus, Moses kind of was keeping his eye on Joshua. He was likely showing expressions of faith. He noticed qualities in Joshua. And so Moses appoints Joshua to be the leader of a group of people who would fight Amalek. And so this uh, fight against the Amalekites were fought on two fronts, the actual battlefield, the physical fighting, and also a spiritual component, a spiritual warfare, so to speak, because we have Moses and Aaron and Hur who went to the top of the hill. And what they were doing as contribution to this warfare was to pray to Yahuwah, to praise Yahuwah, raising his hands to the Father. And so this was a two-pronged battle, which is true when it comes to our battles today, because today we are also fighting in a war. There's a spiritual war, but there's also a physical war where we battle with physical stresses in life, right? We are exposed to physical 
anxiety stresses that we deal with every day. And so in a sense, we are also in a battle. And in a battle, there are things we do physically. There are also things we do spiritually. And this is showcased in the battle against the Amalekites. And so we have Joshua as appointed to be, was appointed to be the leader of those who will take on the physical battle, the physical warfare. And so what happened? What was the result? Exodus 17, 13 and 14, as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. So we know Joshua showed up in battle. He fought the fight of faith. However, what gave them the victory was not the physical battle, but the spiritual battle. Because Moses was, and with the help of those who were with him on the hill, when they were praying, when they were exercising their praise giving to Yahuwah, well, that was the key. This is why the result was a physical victory. And so spiritual first, physical comes second. We need to understand that when it comes to the, to the nature of our battles in our life today. Spiritual comes first. It will have a result in our physical manifestation and in our physical well-being. So we need to always rely on Yahuwah. So we have Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle because of the spiritual victory of Moses. After the victory, Yahuwah instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And so Yahuwah gives an instruction here that kind of foretells the future work of Joshua. Because the Bible says, uh, after the, Yahuwah instructs Moses right down on the scroll, what happened today against the Amalekites, and read it aloud to Joshua. And so Yahuwah, in, you know, it wasn't just Moses who took notice of Joshua, Yahuwah himself. That's why he told Moses, I want you to read this out loud to Joshua so that he can be reminded. This kind of tells us in advance that Joshua is going to fulfill a particular role for the people of Yashara. And so he had that written and he read it out loud to Joshua. So we know Joshua was a military leader. That was one of his uh, gifts, one of his talents. And so that's the first thing we know about Joshua as revealed in scripture. So we fast forward some more. We jump to Exodus 24, 1 to 2. Then Yahuwah instructed Moses, come up here to me and bring along Aaron, Nadab, Abayu, and 70 of Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to Yahuwah. The others must not come near, and none of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain with him. And so here, we kind of find a hierarchy among the people of God, right? And so the mountain kind of represents the place where Yahuwah communes with his people. And so Yahuwah says, okay, I want you, Moses, together with Aaron, Nadab, Abai, and 70 of Israel's elders to come up to the mountain. So they go up to the mountain. The rest of the people are at the base of the mountain, right? They cannot go up 
they cannot climb up the mountain. So you have 70 plus Moses. And I believe um, Joshua was included there. Perhaps he's not one of the elders. We're not sure, but he was included there for sure. And so you have a distinction between uh, Ada, Aaron, Nida, Babai, the elders, Moses, and the regular people of Israel. However, from that group who's allowed to climb up the mountain, a further distinction is made. Because the Bible says only Moses is allowed to go near to Yahuwah. And so they were in the mountain. The other people were at the base of the mountain. They cannot draw close to the mountain. The other people were in the mountain. And then Moses is the one who goes up to the top of the mountain to meet with Yahuwah. Only Moses is allowed to be in close proximity to Yahuwah himself. Now, when Moses goes up to the mountain, interestingly, who goes up with him? Let's read 12 to 13. Then Yahuwah said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain. Stay there and I will give you the tablets of stone on which I have inscribed the instructions and commands so you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant, Joshua, sent out. Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Moses told the elders, stay here and wait for us until we come back. Aaron and her are here with you. If anyone has a dispute while I'm gone, consult with them. And so Moses goes to the top of the mountain, right, to meet with Yahuwah, to receive the tablets, which would contain the Ten Commandments. And Yahuwah God says, this is the basis by which you will teach the people about the, the, the will of Yahuwah. And so while Moses goes up, those who will stay behind was Aaron and her. And so likely they would go back to minister to the people in case they have disputes. Somebody has to settle disputes. They had to be administered because that's a lot of people that they, that's there. And so they had to provide leadership. So Aaron and her, they provide that leadership. Now, when Aaron and her were providing leadership down there to the people by the mountain at the base, well, it turns out Joshua did not go with Aaron and her. Joshua still accompanied Moses, but of course, Joshua could not completely accompany Moses all the way into the presence of Yahuwah. That was only for Moses. But we know Joshua stayed close to Moses. In fact, the Bible tells us that Moses had his personal and close helper and assistant. Who's that? Joshua. And so after the war against the Amalekites, Joshua kind of sets himself apart. He's now the close a, the close helper of Joshua. Interestingly, the word assistant used here in verse 13, in Hebrew, it actually means sarat, Hebrew A334, which means servant or minister. In other words, Joshua became a close minister or servant who aided Moses in doing the will of Yahuwah. And so when Moses was on the mountain, Joshua was not far behind. He was right there, kind of next to him, right? And so when they were up there waiting for Yahuwah to give the tablets to Moses, what was happening in the meantime at the base of the mountain? Something not good. What was that? Let's read the book of Exodus, 
32, 1 to 2, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. And so while the people were waiting for Moses, they became impatient. And what did they decide to do? Well, they were asking uh, Aaron, let's create gods who will lead us because they thought Moses probably something bad happened to him and that he would not be coming back because it was such a long time. And so because of their lack of patience, they decided to take matters with their own hands. Let's just create gods for ourselves. And so Aaron, listening to what the people were clamoring for, kind of decided to take the gold rings from the jewelry of the people. And what did he do with them? Five to six, Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf and he announced tomorrow will be a festival to Yahuwah. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. Can you imagine that? I mean, just moments before this event, they heard the voice of Yahuwah speaking to them, the Ten Commandments. Moses goes up to receive the tablets because it wasn't enough that Yahuwah spoke them. Yahuwah also wanted to inscribe with his finger on the tablets so that they can remember what he said. But while they were waiting to receive the written tablets, they were so impatient and they kind of fell from the faith. This tells us something about human nature, right? After a while, our, after a while of worshiping Yahuwah and his presence is in us, the tendency for human beings is to forget, to forget that experience. This is why we need regular experiences with Yahuwah because it kind of fades if we don't nurture it. And so this is what happened to Israel. They went back to their former ways, which is idolatry. They indulged in pagan revelry. They were used to that in Egypt. They went back to their old ways, including Aaron, because Aaron was instrumental in building the golden calf and an altar for the golden calf. However, who was not involved in all of this? Who was not defiled by this nonsense and sin? Joshua, because he was up there with Moses. And so when Moses had the tablets and he was on his way down, what happened? Then Moses turned and went down the mountain he held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. When Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to Moses, sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, no, it's not a shout of victory nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of a celebration. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. And so after Moses receives the tablets, he goes down to give them to the people of Israel. On his way down, although he already knew because Yahuwah told him what was happening, that's why he went down. And so on his way down, Joshua says, uh, Moses 
I hear the sound of war because there's a lot of noise coming from the camp. And Moses says, it's not the noise of war, it's the noise of a celebration because they were indulged in pagan revelry. And sure enough, when Moses sees the calf, what does he do with the tablets? In his anger, he smashes them at the foot of the mountain. This is why he had to get another set of tablets from Yahuwah later on. So we can see that Joshua was not defiled by the sin of Israel, by the sin of Aaron. And he was with Moses uh, pretty close to Yahuwah. And so he was a minister of Moses, serving and helping him fulfill the will of Yahuwah. And even at the tent of, the, of meeting, even before they established the permanent, the more permanent tabernacle while they were there, inside the tent of meeting, Yahuwah would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. So we know Joshua was a close minister of Moses and worked even in the tent of meeting. And so we can see how Joshua is kind of set apart, different from the others who were in Israel. Moses had his eye on him, especially Yahuwah had his heart and eyes on him. How else does the Bible teach about Joshua? What else does the Bible reveal about his character? Let's read the book of Numbers 13, 1 to 3. Yahuwah now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm going to I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as Yahuwah commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel from their camp in the wilderness of Haran. And so Yahuwah decides before they enter the promised land to send out spies. And so Yahuwah tells Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan. And so he sent Yahuwah, I mean, Moses sent out one leader from each of the 12 uh, ancestral tribes. So 12 spies were sent out to explore the land of Canaan. So when the 12 spies explored the land of Canaan, what did they find over there? 27 to 29. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces, but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. And so here we have the result of the exploration of the land of Canaan. And so all 12 spies, when they, got, when they get there, they saw the land is flowing with milk and honey, but there were people who were living there who were powerful. And so when the objective, the data was examined, right? Because when it comes to human beings, we tend to focus on certain things. When things happen in life, for example, we hear a lot of news, a lot of events take place in our life. 
all of them are the data that enters our mind, but some people focus on some aspects and some people focus on other aspects. So here we have the data as a result of the exploration of the land. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. There are people living there who were powerful. We saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And so that's like the data from the land that was given. However, what is the tendency of many human beings today when they receive the data? What is their, what do they focus on? Let's read Numbers 14, one to four. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. The voices rose in the great chorus of protests against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt and even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is Yahuwah taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Goodness, I want to go back to Egypt. They had plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. And so when the spies gave the report, 10 of the spies, they were kind of focused on the giants, on the people, right? And this negatively affected the perception of the other people, the rest of the community of Israel. This is why the community began to weep out loud. Why? Because they were focused on the giants. They were focused on the powerful people who were living there. And many people today, when bad things happen, isn't that what they tend to do? They focus on the negative. They focus on the problem. I mean, it's, it's good to acknowledge the problem, but I don't think we should focus on the problem, because when we focus on the problem, we live in fear. And we don't want to live in fear. We need to live in what? Live in faith. And so the faith people have a different focus. Two of the 12 spies had a different focus. Who were they? Let's read six to nine. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if Yahuwah is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against Yahuwah and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but Yahuwah is with us. Don't be afraid of them. And so Joshua and Caleb, unlike the 10 other spies, unlike the community of Israel, they focus on something different. You notice how the minority of people focus on aspects of faith, while the majority of people focus on trouble and fear. Here, Joseph, I mean, Joshua and Caleb, they focus on the promise. Did they know that there were giants there, that there were people, powerful people occupying the land? Yes, but what was their focus? Not the people who were powerful, who will be against them. Their focus was who? Yahoo. And his promise. Which is why he said, don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are helpless prey to us. They have no protection. But Yahuwah is with us. You see, brothers and sisters, this is the kind of understanding. This is the kind of thinking we need to develop for ourselves. Whenever challenges come in our life, yes, acknowledge the problem. Don't pretend they don't exist. But don't live in fear. 
choose to live in faith by focusing instead on Yahuwah and his promise that he will not abandon us. He will be there for us. But that's not the response of many people. Many people panic. Many people respond or re react in fear, and so they want to go back to Egypt. But for some people, the remnant, they do not respond with fear. They respond with faith. A place of hope and complete trust in Yahuwah. Because they know Yahuwah is with us. We don't need to be afraid of anything. And so because of this response, I mean, what did the people of Israel say? We have Joshua and Caleb. They said, don't worry about that. We have God who can protect us. Do you know what the people wanted to do when they said that? <laughs> Let's read Numbers 14.10. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of Yahuwah appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. Sometimes when we take a stand of faith, the others don't like that. Right? They don't like it when we take a stand and profess faith in Yahuwah and Yahusha, even today. I mean, when we decided to stand our ground and say no to the majority and say yes to the voice of Yahusha, did we not get persecuted as though they wanted to stone us? We should not be surprised. This is the response of many who are afraid and do not understand. You see, the people that were afraid, they do not understand. They do not understand the power of Yahuwah. They do not understand what Yahuwah was able to do. They don't place their trust in Yahuwah. They place their trust on human beings. This is why you notice what they said. Let's choose leaders for ourselves, different leaders. And so they could not see their true leader. It's not the human being. They do not see the true leader is Yahuwah. And so that's also at play today. There are people today who do whatever their leaders tell them to do because they really haven't placed their faith and trust in the true leader who is in heaven, Yahuwah and Yahusha. So when we place our faith and our trust in Yahuwah, we will not be afraid. We will live in faith. We will not ignore the problem, but we will place our trust in Yahuwah and he will help us be delivered from the problem in the same way Joshua and Moses fought against the Amalekites and won. We did our part, but more importantly, Yahuwah is going to do his part and will deliver us. So we know Joshua, together with Caleb, remained courageously loyal and trusted Yahuwah during the time when the people of Israel complained and rebelled against him. And so we can see Joshua, he's a standout, right? He's one who kind of, he's like a, a light amidst this community of Israel who were faithless and complainers and wants to engage in pagan revelry. He kind of stood out, very different. He was a remnant of that group. What else does the Bible say about um, Joshua? Let's read Numbers. Yahuwah replied, take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him, present him to Eleazar the priest before the whole community, and publicly commission him to lead the people. Transfer some of your authority to him. So the whole community of Israel will obey him. When direction from Yahuwah is needed, Joshua will stand before Eleazar, the priest, who will use the Urim, one of the sacred lots cast before Yahuwah, to determine his will. This is how Joshua and the rest of the community of Israel will determine everything they should do. And so Yahuwah told Moses, ordained basically, Joshua, before the whole community, 
take some of your authority and give it to him because he needs to have the leadership role in Israel. And the way he would lead Israel is by working together with Eleazar the priest. Eleazar the priest, using the umim, the urim, would basically tell Joshua, this is the will of the, the, the will of Abba. Joshua will act on that will. So they work together. So we have one who identifies the will of the father, and then we have one who executes the will of the father. So Eleazar and Joshua were, like, were working together. So Joshua was ordained publicly to lead all of Israel. What else does the Bible say about Joshua? De uh, Deuteronomy, and Yahuwah was also angry with me, with Moses, because of you. He said, because of Israel, he said to me, Moses, not even you will enter the promised land. Instead, your assistant, the minister, Joshua, son of Nun, will lead the people into the land. Encourage him, for he will lead all Israel as they take possession of it. And so Yahuwah tells Moses, you're not entering the promised land. You're not going to be the one to deliver the people of Israel to the promised land. Remember, Genesis to Deuteronomy, the Torah, it's all about what happens to Israel outside of the promised land. So Moses does not get to deliver the people of Israel to the promised land. He's going to die. And so Yahuwah says to Moses, the one who will deliver Israel is who? Joshua. In other words, Joshua would be the successor to Moses. And because he's the successor to Moses, what does Yahuwah instruct Moses to do? Deuteronomy 31, 7-8. Uh, then Moses called for Joshua, and as all Israel watched, he said to him, be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the land which Yahuwah swore to their ancestors he would give them. You are the one who will divide it among them as their grants of land. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for Yahuwah will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. And so what was the instruction of Yahuwah to Moses concerning Joshua? That he would be encouraged. And so Yahu, uh, Moses speaks to Joshua. And Joshua is encouraged. Be strong and courageous. Yahuwah is going to be with you to lead you to bring the people of Israel into the promised land. What does Yahuwah himself say to Joshua? We have Moses giving him a pep talk, right? We have Moses giving him encouragement, but Yahuwah himself also did the same. In Deuteronomy 31, then Yahuwah said to Moses, the time has come for you to die, speaking to Moses. Call Joshua and present yourself at the tabernacle so that I may commission him there. Yahuwah speaking, and he's telling Moses and Joshua, Bring yourselves to me at the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the place where Yahuwah manifests his presence and his glory. He wants to bring the both of them into his presence because he's going to do something. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tabernacle and Yahuwah to, uh, to them in a pillar of cloud that stood at the entrance of the sacred tent. Then Yahuwah commissioned Joshua, son of Noah, with these words, be strong and courageous, for you must bring the people of Israel into the land I swore to give them. I will be with you. And so we have Joshua was commissioned by Yahuwah himself to bring the people into the promised land. This is why Joshua begins the trek of the history of the Israelite people in the promised land. Before that, it's outside the promised land. The next several books of the Holy Bible 
depicts the Israel in the promised land. Eventually, they will be kicked out of the promised land, right? And so the next several books is going to focus on Israel in the promised land, beginning with Joshua, because he is the one commissioned to bring Israel into the promised land. So in summary, when we ask the question, who was Joshua? Well, Joshua was a trusted and capable military leader. Joshua was a close minister of Moses and worked in the tent of meeting. Joshua, together with Caleb, remained courageously loyal and trusted Yahuwah during a time when the people of Israel lived in apostasy and they complained and rebelled against Yahuwah. Joshua was commissioned by Yahuwah himself to bring the people into the promised land. When we look at the life of Joshua, the role that he fulfilled, we can kind of see Joshua is a type of what? A type of who? Yeah. He's going to be the one to deliver Israel. And so we kind of sense that Joshua was a deliverer, who is also a promised deliverer, Yahusha. Joshua was a type of Yahusha. In fact, to prove that Joshua points to Yahusha and his future work is the name Joshua. Because when we look at Numbers 13, verse 16, as Moses is assigning the people from the 12 tribes, the leaders of these tribes to go into the land of Canaan to explore it, something Moses does that tells us something about the future. Because everything in the Bible is there for a reason, right? This is why when something seemingly out of the blue or it's not connected contextually and there's no explanation you know it points to something focus on that passage because moses like just out of nowhere does something and then it doesn't get spoken about anymore very mysterious what is that numbers 13 16 these are the spies sent to explore the land he changed the name of Mahoseus, son of Nantu. Joshua. So out of nowhere, within the context, the context of us sending people to explore the land, and out of nowhere, here comes Moses. He changes the name from Hosea, son of Nun, to Joshua. You see, the original name of Joshua was not Joshua. What was it? It was Hosea. And so when we read the Holy Scriptures, because it was written by Moses after all of these events took place, he writes the name of Joshua as already Joshua. But before this, his name was actually what? Hosea. And so when he begins to explore the land, the Bible tells us through the Holy Spirit that his name was changed from Hosea to Joshua. And so after this was done, it wasn't spoken of again. It's like it was added there, but it seems to be out of context. It's not connected to the other passage. It's just inserted. It's like an insertion. And so we know when there's an insertion, it's very valuable. Something that you have to look at. What could that possibly mean? Well, we know that Yahuwah likes to give names. Abram's name was changed to what? Abraham. Before he established a covenant with Abram, his name was Abram. And then he established a covenant. He becomes Abraham. Why? Because Abram means father of nations. 
Abraham is a father of many nations. Sarai, Sarah. Jacob, Israel. Now we have Hosea. What does Hosea mean? Well, Hosea means salvation. And we know when it comes to the names of the prophets, the names of the people of God, what do you notice about the names of the people of God? The name of God is in them, right? Prophets Eliyahu. Who's Eliyahu? Elijah. Yeshayahu. You notice the names of the prophets have the name of God in it. The problem with Hosea is it means salvation is good, but it doesn't have the name. Whose name? The name of the Father. It doesn't have the name of Yahuwah in it. And so what does Yahuwah do? He instructs Moses, inspires Moses to change his name from Hosea to Joshua. And so when we look at Joshua, you know, Joshua is actually not the proper transliteration of the name. It should not be translated Joshua. Do you know what it should be? When you look at the name Joshua, some render it Jehoshua. But when you look at the Hebrew of that name, what is it? It's that one. Do you notice what that name is? The Yod, He, Vav, Shin, Ayin. What is that? Yahusha. Yahusha is Joshua. And so the name Hosea was changed to become Yahusha. Hosea was changed to Yahusha. Yahuwah is deliver, or Yahuwah is salvation. Now Yahuwah's name is in it. Before Hosea, it just means salvation or deliver. Now it means Yahuwah is deliver through you. And so Yahusha now, we know its meaning. Yahuwah is deliver. Yahuwah is salvation. So during the days of ancient Israel, as they were preparing to go into, enter the promised land, the one leading them was no longer Hosea, but who? The deliverer. Who is that? Yahusha. So the name Yahusha, which today we call Joshua, and so even in our future studies, we call the son of Nun, Joshua, so that we can make it distinct from Yahusha, the Messiah, because some of you might get confused. What, what Yahusha are we referring to? So there's Yahusha, son of Nun, and Yahusha, the, the Messiah, right? And so Yahusha, son of Nun, he was the deliverer of Israel to the promised land. But the greater version of Yahusha, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, is Yahusha Mashiach. And so when the name was changed from Hosea to Joshua, in actuality, it should be Yahusha. That's what it says in the Hebrew or in the Paleo-Hebrew. His name was changed from Hosea to Yahushua. And this tells us something, because it's there for a reason. It's pointing us, the reader, to understand that Yahuwah had plans for his future people in the end times that is being parallel with what, he's, what he was doing during the people of Israel when they entered the promised land of Canaan. So Joshua... Yahusha, I should say, right? Joshua, son of Nun, delivered the people of Israel to the promised land. And so because of the name, we know Yahusha, 
will also deliver the people of Elohim to the promised land. So Yahusha is the greater Joshua because he will deliver the people of Israel from sin and to himself and to life everlasting. So he's a greater Joshua. Okay. So when it comes to the work of Yahuwah, he does not simply set his people free from Egypt. He also takes them to a place where they can truly live. You know, this pattern is repeated in the Bible, delivered from, delivered to. And it's like when we repent, right? We stop doing something so that we can do something. We don't just stop doing something, that's it. No, we stop and then do something else. Yahuwah, he delivers his people from Egypt. And then he just doesn't let them wander on where as nomads, no, they have a place to go. Delivered from, delivered to, right? Delivered from Egypt, delivered to the promised land. We were delivered from, uh, from the devil, delivered to Yahusha. Delivered from the world, delivered to the promised land. And so that pattern is also at work in Yahusha. We are delivered from sin and delivered to righteousness through Yahusha. And so what we find in the book of Joshua is filled. It's filled with so much wonderful typology. And when we go through the whole chapter, the whole book of Joshua, we're going to look at that typology and how it points to other deeper matters of spiritual faith and how it points to our king, Yahushua. Remember, Joshua, the book of Joshua, especially at the very beginning, it's all about warfare, right? Joshua was a commander-in-chief. He was the one leading the people of Israel into battle. They fought against kingdoms, one after the other, as they uh, sought to occupy the promised land. And so this tells us, even with our life, we are called to warfare, spiritual warfare, because Joshua is about warfare. It's about winning the war, about victorious over the enemy in the promised land. And so this also reflects and informs us about the meaning of what Yahusha meant when he said the following promise to the ecclesia. And I'm sure you are very much aware of this promise of the ecclesia because we often read it, especially long, long ago, we often would read this. And here it is, Matthew 16, 18. Does this ring a bell? It does, does it not? Here Yahusha says, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my assembly. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. You know, when we read this passage, the way we apply this passage is we take a defensive stance. In other words, we are protected. We have a defense against death. Even if we die, death will not prevail, right? That's how we initially understood this passage, which is not wrong, by the way. I mean, yes, those who belong to the ecclesia, they have overcome death. But this passage is speaking to us more about more than that. This is speaking to us, and it tells us not just to simply take a defensive stance, in other words, protection from death, it actually speaks of an offensive stance to do something, and that is to attack the gates of Hades. What do you mean? Well, when Yahushua spoke this passage, he was in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And in Caesarea Philippi, there is a place called the Gates of Hades. And this is according to historians, right? Yahushua took his disciples to Gentile territory. 
when he gave that passage in Caesarea Philippi. They were about one, uh, they were about 120 miles from Jerusalem in the north, in the northern part of Palestine. The region was strongly identified with various false religions, pagan religions, demonic religions. It had been a center for Baal worship. The Greek god Pan had shrines there. Herod the Great had built a temple there to honor Augustus Caesar. It was in the midst of this pagan superstition that Peter confessed to Husha as the son of God, and it was probably within the site of Caesar's temple. They probably saw it. They were that close to it. But Yahusha announced, surprisingly, he would build his ecclesia. He will build his assembly. And so when you go there today, right, you will find um, this is how it used to look like before. There were temples built dedicated to false gods and demon gods. What you have are the remains of that place. And you will find um, artifacts of and also carved rocks, which suggests it used to be a place where fantastic structures, temples were used to dedicate, to be dedicated to these false gods. And they have a place called the Gates of Hades. Supposedly, that's the entry point. The Gates of Hades, those who live in the underground, their entry point, their protection is that. That's the Gates of Hades. So whenever they would sacrifice a goat, they would throw them into that pit right there. And so the gates of Hades represents the entry to the underworld or to the source of demonic power and demonic influence. And so the gates of a city, what does that represent? What do the gates represent? <laughs> it represents protection. The gates of a city is the protection. If you want to conquer the city, you go through the gates. And so when Yahusha says gates of Hades, it wasn't simply referring to death. It was referring to this pagan belief that there is this entry point to Hades. In other words, what Yahusha is telling us to do when he gives the promise the gates of Hades shall not prevail against this, to get against it was for us to march through the gates of Hades, destroy the wall, and destroy the influences of wickedness. It was an offensive stance that Yahusha was giving instruction to. Not just simply a defensive protection. You're going to die? No, no problem. You're going to be raised back to life. Death is overcome. But here, specifically, he's telling us, we who belong to the assembly, we who belong to the ecclesia, we have work to do. We have been called into the army of Yahusha. That's basically what it is. Yahusha has enlisted the assembly for that work. The assembly of Yahusha has been called to fight a spiritual war. We have been enlisted. You belong to the ecclesia, you belong to the assembly. Guess what? You have been enlisted into Yahusha's army. What does that mean? We have to fight. And so who are we fighting against? In Ephesians 6, 10, and 3, finally build up your strength in union with the Lord and by means of his mighty power, put on all the armor that God gives you so that you will be able to stand up against the devil's evil tricks. For we are not fighting against human beings, but against the wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly world, the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers of this dark age. So put on God's armor now. Then when the evil day comes, you'll be able to resist the enemy's attacks. And after fighting to the end, you will still hold your ground. And so 
Apostle Paul reminds us of that enlistment, of our duty to fight the spiritual war. And so he tells us to put on the whole armor of God. You see, we should not be sitting on our laurels, so to speak. We're not to be passive. We have to be active. Because if you are passive in a condition of war, what's going to happen to you? You're going to be destroyed. We have to be active. Those who are engaged in war or in warfare, they have to be active. Because if they're not active, they're passive, they're going to be destroyed by the enemy. And so we must put on the full armor. We have to fight against wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly world. We're not fighting against human beings, but the influence, the wicked influence that it has in kingdoms and governments and the people today. We're not surprised during these last days. I mean, we see people who, mobile, who are mobilized by some unseen force doing performing wicked and vile deeds, just like the, the Marine. I don't know if you noticed, if you remember that uh, there was a news footage where 50 young people, 50 teenagers attack a Marine for no reason. I mean, what would it take? What caused them to do that? I mean, that's like a demonic influence. It's a spiritual, wicked spiritual forces working among the people today. And it's everywhere. We have to fight against it. We have to take an offensive and defensive stand. We're not just defend. We have to be on the offensive. And so we need to fight that war. But how do we successfully fight that war? Well, when we go to study the book of Joshua, the enemies of Joshua, because when we go through the book of Joshua, we're going to discover different enemies. We're going to discover different kingdoms. But Joshua is going to be fighting against and those enemies of Joshua are a type of our enemies today. And so what this, that tells us is the book of Joshua will give us practical insights on how to be victorious as we fight in the present spiritual war we are in. And so we have been instructed to put on the armor. We have been instructed to destroy the gates of Hades and to destroy the spiritual forces of evil. But how do we do that? Joshua gives us insights. And so we're going to apply the practical insights in the book of Joshua to carry out the mandate of our King Yahushua and the Apostle Paul. And so we are called upon to fight. We have to win that fight. And so before we even jump into Joshua, we can all, what are the main focus that will give us victory? There are two things I want to point out before we go ahead and wrap up. For our love for God means that we obey his commands. And his commands are not too hard for us because every child of God is able to defeat the world and we win. We win the victory over the world by means of our faith. The world right now is dominated by the spiritual forces of darkness. You agree? That's the war we're fighting. We need to win over the world. How do we win over the world? We put on the full armor of faith. What's included in that full armor of faith? Two things mentioned here. Number one, love. Number two, faith. Right? How do we win by love? What, what does love mean? What does it mean to love God? <laughs> Obey his. What do you think those commandments are? The ten commandments. That's the key. Obeying the ten commandments rehearsing and living the Ten Commandments. That's what it means to show love for Yahuwah and love for our fellow men. 
We need that. What also do we need? The Bible says every child of God will defeat the world. How will we win? Victory over the world by means of our faith. We have love. We also have what? Faith. Love and faith. They work together. When we say faith, it includes an unwavering trust in Yahuwah and in Yahushua. This is why before Joshua enters to conquer the land, do you remember what was promised by Yahuwah and was emphasized by Moses to Joshua? And Moses called for Joshua. And, all, and as all Israel watched, he said to him, be strong and courageous. For you will lead these people into the land all that Yahuwah swore to their ancestors he would give them. You are the one who will divide it among them as their grants of length. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For Yahuwah will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. That promise is also the promise for us because we are children of God. We are one with Yahusha. Our identity is Yahusha. And so the promise that he gave to Joshua, we need to believe in. We need to place our faith and hope in. Do not be like the 10 spies and the community of Israel who wanted to go back and choose a different leader instead of Yahuwah and Yahusha. We need by faith to be strong and courageous. That's a command given to us. Be strong and courageous, not because we're good, not because we're strong, but because we have someone who promised that we can count on. That one who promised is none other than Yahuwah. So place our faith and trust in who? Yahuwah. We also need to place our faith and trust in our commander-in-chief. Who is that? Yahusha. Because remember, when Yahuwah made that promise to Joshua, Joshua is really Yahusha. And so today we have someone greater than Joshua, Yahusha HaMashiach, who is our commander-in-chief. So we need to have faith in Yahuwah and faith in our commander-in-chief. Because our commander-in-chief, Yahushua HaMashiach, who is in heaven, even though he is in heaven, he empowers us. He is present in us and amongst us. And so there's no need for us to be afraid. When we fight the spiritual war, we just need to listen to the voice of our King Yahushua and rely on what he can give us. This is why Apostle Paul, when he was facing a spiritual battle, he was not afraid. No matter what the conditions were, why? Let's read the final passage of our studies today, Philippians 4.13. I have the strength to face all, all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. Beloved brethren, for us to succeed in this spiritual war, we need to love Yahuwah and Yahusha, and we need to trust, we need to have faith in Yahuwah and Yahusha. It's through our commander-in-chief, <laughs> no matter what the conditions we face. Even if we are in hardship, going through suffering, moments of weakness, Whatever our condition may be, Yahusha will give us the power so that we can find the strength, the strength that will enable us to be victorious in the war that we are in. And so, beloved brothers and sisters, in our study of the book of Joshua, remember, we have been enlisted, right? When we profess Yahusha, when we called him our Mashiach, he enlisted us into his army. Now let us fight that war and let us learn from the book of Joshua how to succeed. In fighting that war. It begins with love and faith and carry out the work of the commandments of our Father.
That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray. Almighty and merciful Father Yahuwah, thank you so much for your blessing. We have reason to believe, reasons to hope, because we know you have so much in store for your people. Thank you, Father Yahuwah, for calling us into service. Thank you for giving us your commands. We will demonstrate our love for you by fulfilling your commands. Teach us how, Father, and help us to show our faith in you by relying on your teachings and your promises because we firmly believe that you intend to be by our side. Help us, Father, to rely on your strength as we work out our own salvation. Manifest please your presence in our life. You who speak to our hearts and tell us to be strong, to be courageous. Sometimes it's difficult to do that when we are exposed to many stressors in life, challenges that continue to bring us into much pain and suffering. There are times when we groan and in our pain, we lose sight of you and are focused only on the troubles of life. And so we begin to go into panic and begin to become afraid. Father, help us to overcome that fear. Remind us of who we are. We are your sons and daughters. And you have the promise that you will deliver us to victory. You gave us your son. Thank you so much. Oh, Yahushua, the son of God. We place our hope in you. We need you in our life. Help us. Because we cannot do this by ourselves. You have enlisted us into your army. We stand before you, obedient to your command. Lord of Lord and King of Kings, as our chief, commander-in-chief, may you teach us to fight this war well. Help us to live by faith and to place our hope in you. Help those who are sick among us. May you heal those who are afflicted with disease. Strengthen us once again so that we can resume in the battle no matter what happens in our life. Give us your strength. Give us, please, your power that we can endure until the very end. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.